Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, welcome to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros. I am your host today. Thanks so much for carving a little time out of your precious day to spend with me. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the arts the creative side, the you know, tapping into that and uh, giving that, that spark to the kids when so many times they don't have an opportunity to participate in some of the creative classes that you know, we used to have when we were in school. Recently read an article that said, with art, with arts provisions shrinking in our mainstream schools, more and more parents are looking for quality performing opportunities for their children. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Today my guest is Guinevere Weeks. Guinevere uh, discovered her passion for dance and ballet at a very young age. Uh, today she is the founder of Tutu School, which is a boutique-style ballet school that caters specifically to children 18 months to 8 years. Please help me in welcoming Genevieve. Genevieve, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm glad that you're here because, as I said at the top of the show, so many of those creative arts classes have from public schools especially. Um, tell me a little bit, before we get into that, tell me a little bit, Guinevieve, about your background in dance and ballet. Yeah, no, and, and um, before we agree, just my, my, the pronunciation of my name is actually Genevieve. You had it the second time. It's a, it's a tricky okay. one to say, so I go by Genevieve. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm always telling my, my kids, the kids that I teach, that they have to correct me if I say their names wrong because there are so many names to remember. So I have to practice what I preach. Um, yeah, so my, my background, I, you know, I actually, I was a professional ballet dancer. Um, I uh, actually started to do school while I was still dancing professionally. Um, but I was really motivated to start it because growing up, I just was always dancing in my house, in my living room, you know, and I almost felt like that was what was truly formative for me was that I grew up in a house where creativity was so encouraged, where there was always music on I wanted to be moving to, and that it was it was that sense of having a space for creativity and joy that was really um, so formative for me and that I knew was important, um, you know, and, and would have played an important role in my life regardless of what I ended up doing with my life, even if I hadn't danced professionally. Um, so mm -hmm. while I was still dancing, Dancing professionally, I started teaching at schools and, and just saw that, that that was really the age group where you could really celebrate that kind of magic and you could make a real difference in a child's life by providing a place where they could really connect with music and movement and creativity and just fell in love with that idea and, and realized that's, that's sort of what I wanted to do for my next act once I retired. 
Mm-hmm. And when you say that you're an accomplished dancer, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, I, I was a professional dancer. I don't, you'd, have to, you'd have to ask my peers and my former directors if I was accomplished or not. I certainly worked very hard at it, and I'm, I'm proud of the career that I had, but that's very kind of you to say. Um, I, um, I, so I started studying very seriously um, as a young child. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, where at the time there wasn't really a professional academy um, to go to. So when I was 15 years old, I moved to Chicago, where I, I actually live now, um, to study at the School of Ballet Chicago and dance with their studio company, which was sort of, you know, a training ground to, to become a professional dancer. Um, and then I got a contract with the Oakland Ballet out in the Bay Area, headed out there and started my professional career in earnest out there. I'd had some other um, sort of freelance jobs before that. Um, and then unfortunately, not too long after I got out there, the Oakland Ballet um, ran into financial difficulty and the version of it that I danced with folded. Um, so by that point, I was out there with um, my fiance and had planned to, you know, just sort of have my whole life out in the Bay Area, but the company that I was dancing with was no more. Um, so I started freelancing and, and doing different guest artists um, um, opportunities. And because I was doing that, that's sort of what created the schedule that meant that I, I was able to have sort of side gigs in between and that led me to teaching. But, um, but while I was dancing, you know, I, I, I was really fortunate and then I had a, a really blessed career and got to, to dance all kinds of different roles and amazing ballets, um, a wide range of repertoire. Um, and then, um, you know, eventually retired after I had my, my first child um, when he was about three years old before he wanted to have a second. But it was an incredible career getting to, to be on stage and, and perform in ballets and, um, and, and really Really, you know, just for that level of artistry and creativity, um, it was a dream come true. So you you mentioned that you saw that the age that you uh, cater to today, which is eighteen months to eight years, that those were great formidable years. What what made you decide to put together a uh, a company that did that. You know, a lot of people walk around and saying, oh, you know, the the kids between this age and that age, they definitely have a spark or they you can tap into their talents much easier. But we don't always create a company out of that. So where how did you lead to creating Tutu School? It's such a good question. I, so, I mean, I think the first piece of it was, um, you know, that, that as I was teaching at these schools, um, in between my performance gigs, I really did fall in love with teaching that very early age group. But I really felt like that's where the magic and what I loved the most about ballet, that's where it really lived, was with those, those young dancers. But to be honest, at the time, there weren't even really classes for kids under the age of three. Not that I was seeing um, and but what I did notice is that the the classes that existed for that sort of preschool age group, the three year olds and, and on up, um, it was it, you know it, that was those were the really popular classes. Those were the classes that were full. It's still such a um, a milestone moment in so many children's lives. That first ballet lesson is still something that's um, that's really celebrated. And so those were classes that were really full and were really popular. And and yet at traditional dance schools, they were really kind of neglected. It was sort of like, okay, somebody go teach the three-year-olds on a Saturday morning. Um, there wasn't a lot of thought put into the curriculum, into making even the space inviting for them. Um, and there weren't a ton of options on the schedule either. From a, a business perspective, it just seemed so silly to me that these schools 
schools were maybe offering a couple options on their schedule, but because, you know, they were trying to offer classes for all ages and all styles and, and they weren't solely focused on that very young age group, they couldn't offer as many options as, you know, they probably would have spots to fill. Um, so it really was sort of the marriage of those two things that I saw that there was this real demand that wasn't being met, both in terms of you know, from a business perspective, but then also from a needs perspective that I felt like these really young children were, were having this milestone moment, but it wasn't, it wasn't really developed in a way that was catered and, and tailored to their very specific needs. And I, mm -hmm. I did start seeing when I started looking around that in the children's services and enrichment activities space, you know, people were really starting to come up with and create classes specifically for kids, even, you know, in the toddler age group, 18 months and up, which is where we start now. And I started really wondering what it would look like to make a ballet program for children that young. Um, obviously, they're not working on, on intense techniques, but really, again, just that exposure to music and movement and, and, mm -hmm. and, and being rooted in a belief that starting at the earliest possible age is, is a really good thing. Sure. So when looking at this from a uh, prospective students or parents that are looking for something, what, what do those classes look like if, if someone is looking at Tutu School as an opportunity to, for their kids to be uh, exposed to this? What does that look like? What does the service in the classes look like? That's a great question. Um, I'm so proud of our classes. So, you know, it, it's ballet-based creative movement, which means that because the children we work with are all under the age of eight, there is some fundamental and foundational technique layered in there. So if our students, you know, have taken our classes and then want to go on and study seriously somewhere else, um, you know, if they want to have a more advanced study in ballet and pursue that, they'll have that foundational technique. They'll have a really good setup um, to continue pursuing their studies. But because the children we work with are so young, we're primarily focused on enrichment. We're, we're focused on introducing them to music and movement, hopefully helping them fall in love with it. Um, so we spend a lot of time um, doing things that, that involve their imagination, a lot of um, creative movement, a lot of, um, of working on, on just fine and, and gross motor skill development to really help them feel comfortable in their own bodies to work on coordination and rhythm um, and just general movement and body awareness. Um, we even incorporate into our classes some, some more academic and educational concepts so that they can kind of see that integration. For example, for young kids working with shapes and colors and letters and numbers, um, and then tying that into movement and into some of their ballet study. And then we finish every class with um, a part of our curriculum that I'm so proud of. It's our, our ballet story time curriculum. And in that, we explore a different ballet story um, each week for, for a series of weeks. So it might be Swan Lake, or it might be Sleeping Beauty, or Capelia, or the Nutcracker. Um, and they, they learn a portion of the story from the classical repertoire, and then they get up and they dance to it, and they use their imagination, and they hear the actual classical score by Tchaikovsky or Stravinsky, so they're learning about classical music too. And they get to really touch sort of all of those different areas of um, some arts and, um, you know, arts education and cultural education, as well as just using their imaginations and exploring a story and getting to be really creative. Mm. You know, Genevieve, I'm li listening to you, and um, I, I'm wondering, how do you let these, these eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds go after you've been <laughs> such a part of your life? They, 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 you just have to build a bond with them that is like none other. It, it, it is. It's so, it's so true. It's really hard to graduate them. Um, but I think, you know, what's, 
what's nice is that because of the age group that we work with, it is sort of a natural progression where that seems to be about the age, you know, somewhere between six to eight when kids are deciding, okay, is this something I want to do more seriously? You know, this mm -hmm. is, this is the sort of the age where I need to start committing to coming a couple times a week if I want to and, and taking studies a little bit more seriously or, you know, drift off to try other things. Um, so it mm -hmm. usually tends to be sort of a natural transition, but it's so hard when we get so bonded to them. And, and especially, you know, if they start with us at 18 months, sometimes we've really, yeah. really watched them grow up. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So let's talk a little bit about what that franchise opportunity looks like. When you're looking at prospective franchisees, are you just looking to recruit um, prior dance instructors or someone that has a deep knowledge and, and experience in dance? No, that's such a good question, though. Um, we So actually, one of our, our franchise owners um, yesterday retired as a, a principal ballet dancer with um, a principal ballerina with Carolina Ballet. Um, and, so we, and, and, and that means that we now only have one um, currently dancing uh, professional dancer, another principal ballerina with the Pacific Northwest Ballet is another owner. So we do have owners in the system that have that level of of dance experience. They're literally dancing as principal dancers in, in companies currently while owning teacher schools. But, um, you know, I would, I would say then we also, most of our owners have, have nowhere near that dance experience. Some of them have never danced a day in their life. <laughs> they just love mm. the mission. Um, maybe they, you know, they really believe in children's uh, enrichment. Maybe their parents themselves. Um, and then, you know, we do have a framework in place where if, if it, an owner does not have dance experience themselves, they um, hire a master teacher to bring with them to their initial franchise training um, so that we can launch with, with a great master teacher on board. And then we have incredible tools in place to help our owners make sure that their teachers get really well trained um, so that even if they don't have dance experience themselves, they can have um, wonderful teachers. And, and frankly, the most important qualification for those teachers and for anyone who's working, you know, to school is just that they're magic with children, that they are absolutely mm -hmm. magic in the way that they relate to children. Because the technique that we're teaching is, is so basic and so foundational and fundamental, it's important, but it's simple. Um, the really important piece is that they're, they're, again, just really magical in the way that they're interacting with these kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. So you're talking about these tools. Tell me a little bit about what those tools look like. So when a franchisee comes in and you provide the training and those tools, what does that look like? We, so for the franchisees themselves, in terms of running the school, we have a lot of, of um, training around just their, their regular operations and obviously launching and marketing and outreach um, that I think are, you know, probably pretty, pretty typically near um, traditional franchise systems um, where I, we've put a lot of time and effort in, is into the training tools for, for the teachers because we know that that's so important. Um, you know, that that's, again, what, what the majority of our owners who haven't had extensive dance experience are going to be worried about is making sure that they can have a faculty that's really well trained and also you know because the majority of their employees are part-time and so they might have new teachers rolling on and off that it's something that's really relatively free in terms of getting new teachers up and running while at the same time knowing that they're going to be you know really incredibly um, excellent at what they do so we have a fully articulated curriculum for all of the divisions and levels in our program and then um, in addition to having a, you know an outline um, that walks owners uh, and master teachers through how they train teachers in 
in the actual classes that happen on site. We also have an internal platform called Twirl that's a learning management system. And so it actually also operates as a resource hub and, and document library um, for our owners too. But our teachers in the system all have access to it um, and they can use it for, for training tools. So there's a whole training course live online there that they can access at any time. And then we, we post and, and develop additional updates too so that they're always um, you know, getting little refreshing elements to kind of make sure that their teaching stays fresh and also so we can keep them engaged with the, the community of teachers that we have across the country now. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about hiring teachers, that may be something that your franchisee may not have any experience in. Do you help them in finding the right teachers? We do. We do. Um, and we really advise them. Um, so, you know, we, we want them to be the ones actually doing the hiring, but we do try and really guide and advise them and counsel them. And really it comes down to, you know, it, it tends to be less tricky than, um, than our owners imagine maybe when they're going in, because again, they're not having to look for professional dancers. Um, they're not having to only hire ballerinas. What we're really looking for are people who have had basic experience in dance and can teach basic technique, but that are fantastic with children. So a lot of times those are performers, you know, maybe Maybe they don't have, um, you know, maybe they're not dancing professionally as ballet dancers, but they have a musical theater background. Um, you know, we, we often hire um, actors in between work. Um, maybe they are getting an education degree or they have lots of nanny experience, but they danced extensively growing up. There's sort of a whole wide range of backgrounds that make somebody a great tutu school teacher. Um, and so we definitely really try and, and help and advise our, our owners and, and help them get really comfortable with spotting and then grooming those teachers to be amazing tutu teachers. So what does a tutu school look like? Is it, um, is it brick and mortar? And what does what the studio look like? Um, what can a, an expect, uh, a prospective franchisee expect to, um, on, on day one? Yeah, this is, it's, I love that question. It's, it is a brick and mortar space. Um, and that's one of my favorite things is in normal times, non-COVID times, when I get to travel around and visit all of these tutu schools because they um, they all look like tutu schools. I think we have really um, strongly and consistently expressed branding in our trade dress and then in what you see when you walk into a tutu school that you just sort of let out a little sigh because it, it looks like a tutu school. There are tutus on the wall. There are beautiful chandeliers, gorgeous wood floors. Um, it's, it's a really magical space. And it it's unlike sort of traditional dance schools that might be, um, you know, a little um, intimidating for little dancers because they're kind of mm -hmm. more cavernous, warehousey spaces. We've put a mm -hmm. lot of time and effort into making sure that our studios feel cozy and warm and nurturing and inviting. Um, so, so what I love is that you, that's so consistently expressed in all of our teaching schools, but they all also really reflect the owners um, that own them and the communities that they're in. And, and I just love that. I love and really see a lot of individuality in, in each space, even though they're clearly um, identifiable as teaching schools. So we, mm -hmm. usually our spaces are about 700 to 1,100 square feet, and that's, that's a part of the business model because, again, um, it, in, our, in terms of our philosophy, that's what we want in terms of what's comfortable for our students and what's going to make them feel safe and nurtured. Um, and then from a, a business perspective, it's great that we can really keep our overhead um, a lot lower than we would if we were trying to rent, you know, gigantic spaces. 
Mm-hmm. Certainly. So you mentioned um, the pandemic, and folks, for those of you listening to the recording, this is September the 28th of 2020. So um, how have you uh, supported your franchisees? Have you done anything different during this time that you weren't doing before? Yes, definitely. Um, I'm really, I'm so proud of our community of owners just in general, and then specifically really proud of, of how our, our franchise system responded to this. Um, I think it was important for our owners, but I think that, um, you know, it was also really important for the kids and the families that we serve. Um, at this time that was so tumultuous and, and challenging for them, it, we just really I identified the fact that our mission is always to make space in the lives of children for creativity and joy, and, and that there really couldn't be a more important time to do that. Um, so we pivoted overnight from in-person classes to online virtual classes. So, you know, I, I know that, that at some point pretty much all kids' activities got there, but we, um, one of the advantages of having a national system was that we were really able to see before it hit all of the country what was coming, um, and especially because we have so many locations on the West Coast. So we were able to get set up so that in the middle of March, there was, you know, one afternoon or evening where classes were happening in the studio, and the next morning they were available live streaming online. Um, so wow. there was no interruption for our families. Yeah, and I, and I was so proud of that. You know, there was not a point where classes were canceled. They were they just moved online. Um, wow. And then, you know, now at this phase in the pandemic, we've, um, we, we really are just, we believe in offering our families so many options. So we return to in-person classes at almost all of our schools, um, you know, obviously where that's allowed. But the classes are socially distant. Um, usually they're masked if, if the, the kids are old enough. Um, there's a lot of, of sanitizing and, and you know, cleaning procedures in place. And then we're also still offering the online options. We're offering outdoor classes. We're offering pod options so that if kids are already attending school or preschool with a certain group of kids, they can create a private pod so that they can do ballet with those same kids and keep their social bubble a little bit smaller. Um, we're just really trying to be as flexible as possible for our families so that we can keep these activities in kids' lives because we think that's more important than ever. And as a franchise system, we've really seen it as our responsibility to make sure that our owners um, just feel so supported at every level. So, um, you know, anytime we have um, ideas that are even born, uh, either born from the corporate office or from other locations where they're trying them, you know, we sort of immediately build out the support for them in terms of the marketing and the messaging and then the actual logistics of how to launch them. And we make sure to get that into our franchisees' hands as quickly as possible so that they feel like they have options too um, for just really keeping their businesses um, you know going during this difficult time you know Genevieve what I've seen is those franchises that were able to pivot quickly um, those are those are certainly that's a, a direct reflection to the leadership so kudos for you and your leadership team for being able to change on a dime so to speak because as I've said in prior shows, uh, none of us had this in our business plan or our marketing no. plan. None <laughs> of so us true. were ready for this. So kudos for you and your team in putting something together that quickly that allowed your franchisees to move forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of I'm very proud of how um, we've all responded to this, but thank you. I think that, and that's so you, what you said is so true. None of us had this in our business plan. This was not on the calendar for 2020. 
Yeah, but you know what it does do? It does teach you that I don't care what business you're in, I don't care what industry you're in, you have to be flexible. It's almost like a tennis game where you have to stay on the balls of your feet just mm-hmm. to be able to, um, to, to respond to whatever yeah. comes, comes at you. And your responsibility is so much larger than somebody that own, just owns their, a small little studio of their own. How many locations do you have? We have 37 currently. There are 45 sold, so we have some that are in the process of opening. Um, We opened one last month in the Bay Area in California where we already have a collection. We just opened this month in Park Slope um, in Brooklyn, New York City. Um, And then next month we're opening our first location in Ohio in Akron. Um, So so those are our 37 locations. Again, 45 that are sold, so some others that are still opening. And then um, we have an additional 10 beyond that that are also reserved for development um, by current owners so that we'll be rolling out over the next couple of years. Wow, that's amazing. I tell you what, we, we need to take a quick commercial break here, but would you happen to have some stories when we come back to share with our listeners? Absolutely, I'd love to. Very good. Folks, we'll be right back with more about Tutu School. House Talk Radio. Join Tony and Wendy Gambone on House Talk Radio, where they talk all things house. From tips on home repairs and remodeling to best practices on buying and selling a home, hiring contractors, home loans, and insurance, as well as decorating ideas and how to get the most bang for your buck. If you would like more information about House Talk Radio, go to housetalkradio.com. Do you know a family fighting cancer? The Jest Foundation nonprofit was founded right here in Katy, Texas, by cancer survivor Michelle Perzan, whose vision is to assist those currently fighting by providing grants to help support family needs, whether spiritually, emotionally, or financially. Michelle and her family know all too well that there comes a time when the day-to-day needs we take for granted become impossible. Jest Foundation has been able to bless 100% of the applications submitted, and now they need your help. Find out more by going to JustFoundation.org. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come. Contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. I'm here with Genevieve Weeks, and we are talking about Tutu School. So when we broke for commercial break, uh, Genevieve, I ask if you happen to have some stories you could share with us. Sure. Um, I love telling stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um, one of my favorite stories is about one of my favorite teacher schoolers. I mean, we love all of our teacher schoolers. We don't, we don't have favorites, but um, 
when I was still, I, I don't, t- I'm not on the regular schedule anymore. I don't teach anymore, but, but when Tutu School started, it really was me teaching all of the classes, you know, franchising was um, not even on my radar. Franchising came into the picture much later. Um, and for as long as I could, I continued to teach. Um, but, but now we just get in there whenever I can. But when I was still teaching, I was in the studio one day and a mother and her daughter came in, um, and the, the daughter's name is Sophia, um, and the, the daughter had um, a mild form of cerebral palsy, and she and her mom had come in, her amazing mother, Jackie, um, came in, and they wanted to just have a conversation about what it would look like for Sophia to do ballet, and, you know, we said, well, absolutely, you know, bring her, you know, even though she had some some physical challenges that she was working through and they knew that there would need to be some modifications and adaptations um, to class, we said, you know, uh, uh, we're completely up for that and and would be thrilled and honored to have Sophia take class with us. And so Sophia began um, what ended up being, you know, um, several years of lessons at Chuchu School and it was just such a privilege to see um, the way that, that her dancing grew um, for, for one thing and to get to see her do things like, you know, dance on stage in our recitals and things that I think mm. she and her parents had maybe worried wouldn't be possible for her. Um, but also just we were all so privileged to, to have the honor to, to watch that and then to see how that impacted the kids that she danced with, um, mm. the way that they began to view challenges, the way that they all started taking care of each other in classes when they had to work together to really to make um, some of these challenges work. You know, if they were working on a piece of choreography or an exercise in class and wanted to make sure that it was something that was going to work for all of their classmates. It was, it was so magical and it was such a privilege. And my, my favorite part about all of it was at one one point Sophia had a surgery um, and was was the hospital for the surgery for a number of months I don't, don't remember exactly how long she was there but it was at least a number of weeks afterwards it, it felt like a very long time um, doing um, rehabilitation and, and physical therapy and her mother told us that um, the physical therapist would ask her you know what how are you so good at doing all these stretches and, and things that were given you you're so you're so good at that and mm-hmm. Sophia told them it's, well, it's because I'm a ballerina. Aww. <laughs> and that was, my, oh, that was my favorite. And she, and she absolutely was, and she, she is. She's graduated, and she's moved on to more advanced study, and we just couldn't be more proud of her. But I, I always feel like that, uh, her entire story, and then the way that, um, that she, you know, changed us, the teachers and the students that got to work with her, um, was so magical and, and, and really celebrated, I think, what, what Tutu School always strives to be. How sweet. It, it almost is, is like she didn't have any limitations, and you set her up in a very safe environment that supported that. That is a lovely yeah. story. Yeah. No, she, she was amazing. You're exactly right. She didn't – it taught all of us, I think, so much about the, uh, you know, the idea that um, – your limitations are, are really just what you believe them to be. I mean, she mm-hmm. certainly lived that out in front of us, and it was so exciting to get to celebrate that with her. Oh, so sweet. So do you have a story about a franchisee you'd like to share with us? Sure. I think I think my favorite, it, um, you know, just sort of narrative is is that our, you know, our very first franchisee, um, uh, Christy Pomeranian, Pomeranian, she joined um, 
Tutu School. She again the first person to to sign on, um, which was which is, is a for any franchisors out there know is a really sort of daunting thing is to pick your first franchisee and and have your first franchisee you know decide and pick you. It really has to be a very mutual thing, and it's daunting because it, it feels so important that that first person be a great representative and ambassador for all the owners right. that will come after. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I could not be more thrilled that it was her, but at the time that she, uh, that, that we approved her application and she signed on both she and I were very pregnant. I was, um, a, you know, a couple weeks away from giving birth to my twins, um, that I had in, in 2013. And then she had her second child, um, a few months later, right after opening her first tutu school. Um, and then, you know, I just love the way the story's gone on from there. Today, she owns eight tutu schools. <laughs> so she wow. didn't stop there. And then I know eight tutu schools. And then because I had three children, she had a second right after she started with tutu school. Um, she decided not to stop growing there either. And she had twins a few years after that. Now she has four kids and eight teaching schools <laughs> and I'm a franchisor with three. So I just sort of love that we've, um, you know, that we've grown together. And, and she's actually the owner of Tutu School Park Slope that just opened this month. So she has continued to grow throughout, you know, the whole duration of Tutu School's evolution, which um, is just, I think it's a lot of our owners have chosen to become multi-unit owners um, mm-hmm. and have had their own journey similar to, to Christie's, um, not necessarily with, with uh, growing to four kids and eight tutu schools, but a lot of growth. And it's just, um, it's so wonderful to track that and follow that and really get to be a part of their entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, yeah. To be a part of of someone who is creating not something just for themselves and their family, but for other families as well. I love hearing yeah. those stories. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very nice. I think nice. that I, that's something that I didn't, you know, when I, I, I have fully admitted, I think last year at our summit with our franchisees, I even, t- I told them um, that, you know, when I started franchising Tutu School to be completely candid and transparent, I did it to grow the brand. You know, I, it wasn't about um, the the women and owners that I would get to work with, and it wasn't about being involved in anyone else's entrepreneurial journey. It was because I wanted to grow Tutu School, and I thought that, that this was a really um, smart way to scale. And it's so interesting now um, now that we have really, you know, embarked a ways down this road of franchising that that's it, absolutely one of my favorite things is that I get to be a part of all these entrepreneurial journeys, that I get to meet all these amazing, mostly women, but a couple men, um, and to really be a part of their ownership stories and help them build businesses. Um, again, it, you know, being honest, it's not why I got into it, but it's, it's absolutely become, you know, my favorite thing about it. Yeah, wonderful. Genevieve, if someone is listening now and they think, I want to be a part of that story, how would they find out more information about Tutu School and get in touch with you? Yeah, um, they can go to tutuschool.com, um, and they'll see at tutuschool.com that there's a franchising tab with more information about franchising, um, but there's also a lot of other information about our program just so that they can take a peek and, and see what we're all about. Great. So we're down to those final three questions here. The first one is, if there is someone listening who's considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest that they do to prepare for the process? 
I think it's so important to talk to other franchisees. I think if you're, you know, if you're considering a specific franchise um, and a specific franchising community or system, you know, especially to talk to owners in that community, but I think even just talking to other franchisees, I think, um, you know, we always encourage any applicant that's coming to us to talk to as many other owners in our community as they can. I think that that's really important because that's the community you're buying into in addition to the business mm-hmm. that you're buying. And so to really make mm-hmm. sure that that feels like a good fit and somewhere that you can see yourself and also just, you know, because I think that you want to hear directly from their, those owners what their experience has been, um, you know, what they've loved, what challenges they didn't expect. I, I think that that's really so important. And I think even just to speak to franchisees more broadly, um, even if it's in a system or a community that you're not considering joining, I think you can learn a lot about, you know, what, what they've loved about their own um, model and, and concept and what they haven't. And, and they can really plant some great questions that then you can ask um, the concept and franchisor that you're exploring a relationship with. Oh, most definitely. And folks, if, if you're in the process or you're thinking about getting in the process or thinking about thinking about getting into the process, mm-hmm. talking to existing franchisees, because that's when you can ask, how did the franchisor support you during COVID? And I think that, Genevieve, you correct me, but I believe that that is going to be a question that is going to come up now. It wasn't a question, ever a question that entered anyone's minds that they would be faced with a crisis. But mm-hmm. I think going forward, that, that's going to be a big deciding factor. A hundred percent. I think how, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I think really asking, you know, how, how did your franchise or how did your concept respond to this crisis? I think that that's something that everyone should want to know, you know, and, and I agree with mm-hmm. you that we wouldn't have known to ask before. Right, exactly. So the second question here is, what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? You know, I always think of two things that I think can kind of sound like they're headed in opposite directions, but I actually think that they're complementary. I think being able to generate your own momentum is so important. I think that, you know, at Tutu School, we pride ourselves in providing so many levels of support and direction and a ton of content and resources and material for our franchisees. You know, we really, um, we, don't, we don't leave them to, to feel like they're doing anything on their own. But I still think that, you know, we, we want owners that, are, that feel like entrepreneurs, you know, that don't just feel like clients or employees in the system, but really feel ownership over the business that they're starting. And so I do think that it's really important to have a sense of being able to generate your own momentum, you know, mm-hmm. and not just check things off a list or follow instructions, but that you're really going to take ownership of that business and, and run with it. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that's the first thing. And then I think the, the second thing that, again, maybe sounds like it's, it's heading in opposite direction, but I think it's complementary, is to also be collaborative. So to not be such a, you know, self-starter and, and person who generates their own momentum that you just, you know, operate in a bubble, but that you really do, um, you know, connect yourself to the other owners in your system, in your community, I think that that can be so valuable. Again, another thing that I hadn't really counted on um, valuing as much as I do now as a franchisor is just how much of our growth in terms of the depth and the layers that we're able to provide to our owners and, and resources and materials and um, uh, training and support and programs, 
so much of that has been born out of recommendations and crowdsourcing and requests mm-hmm. that came from our community. You know, somebody trying something at their location or having this conversation with another owner and wondering if we could explore this or, um, you know, think about that. And I think that um, that is one of the key benefits of joining a franchise system is getting to be a part of a community. So really finding ways to be collaborative. But I, I also think, um, I, know, I know that you're saying that, that, that a lot of that is because of your franchisees, but that, that tone, that is set from the top. So mm-hmm. for them to feel, again, safe and comfortable in sharing their secrets because they're not in competition with each other. Sharing mm-hmm. a secret or sharing some, a marketing idea that may have worked for them, um, it's okay to share that. So you guys have set the stage for uh, your franchisees to feel comfortable in doing that. So again, kudos for that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think I think it's everything you just said, and I so appreciate that. And I, I think, too, it also, I realized sort of early on that I couldn't, even though I care so much about the brand, and I am very protective of it, that I, I couldn't be protective of it at the cost of, um, you know, timing evolution that I needed to be open to hearing, right. you know, what these franchisees were seeing on the ground and growing with that. Um, and so I'm grateful for the first franchisees that helped me through those growing pains so I could get to this place and, and be open to it. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. So the final question here is what does the future of franchising look like? I think it ties in with what we were talking about, about, you know, franchisees needing to really and potential franchisees um, find out how their their concept and their franchisor um, responded in a crisis. I think that franchise systems moving forward in the future of franchising, it needs to be really adaptable. Um, I know Mm -hmm. we're all sick of hearing the word pivot, but I think, you know, Mm -hmm. making sure that these concepts are able to pivot, that they do have a plan um, for if there's some, you know, major disruption to their service or or to their business or their model. Um, So I think, you know, a combination of staying rooted in a mission, figuring out and, and really clearly identifying and, and codifying what a, the mission of a company and a brand is, staying very rooted in that, not not in any way diminishing or diluting that, um, but being ready to adjust and evolve if needed. And so I think going forward, I think that, that people need to be looking at that and seeing, is this a concept that is able to adapt if it needs to, or is this something that only works under a, set, a certain set of circumstances? Yeah, most definitely. And to have franchisors that help you um, stretch in, mm-hmm. um, in the offerings, you know, because I think what happens too is that franchisees get into a rhythm of this is the way I deliver my product or service. This is the way I deliver my widget. Well, mm-hmm. to be able to pivot means that you actually have to stretch outside of that. And mm-hmm. I think it teaches your franchisees that, um, that they are beyond that, you know, that they can stretch a bit, just staying within the brand concept. So I think your actions certainly set a tone as well to the franchisees. I, I thank you. I mean, I, I think that's so true. I think that um, the franchisors all have to keep that in mind. I think you're, I think you're hundred mm-hmm. percent right. I think so much of the tone comes, um, comes from the top and, and, and part of, I think what you're saying too is right is, is showing them that you have that faith in their ability to yep. adjust. Yeah, most definitely. Well, we're down to the end of the show, Genevieve, and 
again, how can they get in touch with you and find out more about Tutu School? Sure. So, again, our website's tutuschool.com. Um, our handle on any social media is at tutuschool. Um, and they can always email us at twirl at tutuschool.com. Um, we would love to hear from them and answer any questions they might have. And also just encourage anyone who's interested to um, to explore what we have online and on our social media ch- uh, channels and learn a little bit more about, you know, what we're all about and, and what we're seeking to do in the lives of children. Wonderful. Thanks again for being on the show today. I was so excited to hear about Tutu School and how you're changing lives in both both the kiddos and your franchisees. Thanks so much, Genevieve. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, folks, dance, and this isn't something we talked about um, on the show today, but dance does have a lot of benefits to the kiddos, you know, health benefits. Uh, it keeps them strong. It keeps their hearts pumping. It, you know, just in in all, it's when you look at it, it's exercise, exercise to music, right? So I want to leave you with this quote. This quote by Albert Einstein. Who would have thunk it? We dance for laughter. We dance for tears. We dance for madness. We dance for fears. We dance for hope. We are the dancers. We create the dreams. Think about that, folks. Go out there, dance, create your dreams. Thanks again for being with me, All Things Franchising. See you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today. And be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.